Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Ho, ho, ho. What'd you call me? <laughs> Say it again. Yeah, ho, ho, ho. Uh, that's my name. <laughs> Everyone, it's our holiday episode of Keep It. Good tidings. To all. To all. Uh, to you and your kin. Is that how the song goes? I don't... What song is it? We wish you a Merry Christmas. Good tidings. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah probably. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway... This is our holiday episode of Keep It. This is, y'all, this is your last episode of the year. Last of the year. You're maybe home for a break. You're irritated with your family. Yeah. Or you have decided to avoid your family. That too. Uh, Maybe you're on a beach somewhere, which is where I will be as you listen to this. Yes. Where will you be? I will be in Mexico. Oh, that's one of the gooder gooder beaches. The gooder beaches. (laughs) (laughs) Buenos dias. (laughs) I love my family, and I still spend most of my time at home, like driving around in a car, just in my hometown, listening to songs I listened to when I was in high school. So it'll be like, you know, not what's came out in two thousand four, milkshake. You cosplay, Louis the teenager in in my yes, in my like skater wear from the time. Yeah, I'm gonna be here in LA, spending Christmas with a friend. Spooky. Yeah, spending Christmas with um, a close friend of mine, and then I'm going to. Buenos Aires for New Year's. I heard a good, um, I was talking to someone the other night, and she talked about a Christmas that she spent in L.A., and they spent all of Christmas Eve at Wee Spa. Oh. And then, like, stayed really late, and then went to sleep, and then got up and had brunch. And I was like, that actually sounds like an incredible Christmas. Oh my so, God. if you need plans. I can't wait to do that, actually, because the actual Christmas um, dinner that I'm going to at my friend's is on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah, so there you go. So, the you actual go day, I'll yeah. just be like... You just relaxed. Go. And LA, I've been here on Christmas before. LA is empty as fuck. Is it? It's yes. also it's shocking <laughs> how little time it takes to get from any point to any other point. Like if you want to go to whatever, Arcadia, six minutes. Yeah. Because it's LA, it's like clueless. They weren't wrong. Everywhere takes twenty minutes. Yeah. They mm-hmm. did not account for the million extra people who came. <laughs> but I might even go have dinner in Venice. Right. Yeah, that would be the only, that was, that's actually a PSA to all of my friends. I will drive to Venice for dinner only on Christmas Day. (laughs) So that's the only time I'm going to Venice. That's when I take your rooster fish invite. (laughs) Uh, So later in the episode, I have an interview with Barry Jenkins himself talking about if Beale Street could talk. Guess what? He's done it again. It's perfect. Anyway, um, this is our holiday mailbag episode. We're doing this again. 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 Because you all had so many questions. We just had to do it one more game. Are we ready? (laughs) Oh, I guess. (laughs) When we're back, holiday questions. Unless they're not holiday questions. And we're back. Let's get into these questions, Mm -hmm, mm y'all. Our first one is from Bourgeois Nerd. Mm. I believe him. I want that newsletter. That actually, yeah. I bet, I bet there is one. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Megan Kelly's new venture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once something has been kept, can it ever get taken out, if you will? What would it need to do to be taken out of storage? What is this, a riddle? Oh, can we undo <laughs> Are you the Sphinx? <laughs> First of all, when we say keep it to something, it doesn't actually get locked away in a storage like we're in. <laughs> Yeah. Right, Batman's cave. Maybe there is a there is a an interesting difference here we should make, which is between keeping something and canceling something. Yeah, mm. we really Just do typically different. reserve canceling for like monsters. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So I would say most of the time things are brought out of storage necessarily because we don't know how to dispose of shit. Listen, there was a time I didn't. I would never have said. I might have said keep it to her like years ago when she was doing all of those unnecessary Nicki Minaj collabs. But there was a time I was not an Ariana Grande fan. Right. Didn't feel strongly about her. Didn't really care about the music. And look at me now. 
So wearing your rabbit ears, exactly. And your I'm long here. Pony I got hair. my ponytail on. You can't see it. It's as long as I am tall, and uh, and I've come back from it. So I feel like you can you can reverse a keep it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've said keep it to Justin Timberlake many a time, <laughs> and uh, and many many more to come, sweetie. Listen, I was out somewhere and I heard "Rock Your Body," and that song still goes in. Oh, I was listening to Future <laughs> Sex Love Sounds. And I was like, damn, this album was good. Also because Timbaland lost his mind. Thanks, yeah. Timbaland, and thanks for Ralph for Rock Your Body. Yeah. The, I think that's maybe the issue on Man in the Woods. Who did Justin Timberlake work with? Not yeah. two of the most prolific producers to ever make The Unabomber. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, who else was and, out and there? And his little wooden shack. And Leo and the Revenant. That's right. Yes, of course. Um, also, okay, can I say something about Rock Your Body? For Okay, the year that song came out, until I was... Corrected by multiple friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when he says, I'm going to have you naked by the end of this song, I thought he said, <laughs> I'm going to dip your naked body into this sauce. What was the sauce? I don't know. How did you I get, said it out loud a lot. so many extra words. <laughs> I thought you were going to just like, you had naked wrong. That was, you added like five extra words. What it is, was like a whole new short story. What is in your brain? I... <laughs> I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna dip you naked in this, this sauce. sauce. What did you think he said to Janet at the Super Bowl? Something like that. It's like the follow up to "I'm loving it." Now he's going into like what you do with the chicken nugget. <laughs> I always forget that he wrote that McDonald's jingle. Yeah, I'm loving it. He's like responsible for a cultural moment. He's like secretly Don Draper. That's the money that bought Jessica Biel's failed restaurant. Oh fudge! Yeah, <laughs> it's gone. I know. You know, I, uh, I'm i glad to have been on the front lines of you real journalism it. when I reviewed it. I brought my friend Goldie, who was three at the time. Uh, she was like three or four. Goldie seemed to enjoy it, but uh, I do remember we ordered a club sandwich. with. So the club sandwich, right, is like 20 bucks. And then we added caviar on top, which is an option, because we were expensing it. And then it was like a $55 sandwich. Let me tell you. Club sandwiches do not need caviar. I bet they don't. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Good to know. Maybe just in case. <laughs> With like the bacon and stuff on it too? Yeah. Oh, wow. Actually, they plopped it on top and so then you had to kind of like scrape it off and add it. It wasn't, all of that to say, not surprised it's gone. It seems like a poorly put together caviar sandwich too. Like, oh, pay $25 just for us to throw this on the bread. It was. Anyway, Yvette, she would like to know if you had to listen to only one Christmas song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, all I want for Christmas is you. Yeah, right? I feel like that's the answer. I feel like that has also, to be Also, I it. feel like we're heading towards that as a society. Like, it's just going to be that song for the yeah. rest of the time. Um, the lambs are going to take out every other song. Right. Do you think the lambs will gain in strength as the years go on? Yeah. Okay. Payola. Um, right. <laughs> um, this is technically... You can argue it's not a Christmas song, but it's in um, Mame, right? We need a little Christmas. I love that song. Well, Christmas is in the Who title. Who sings that song? We, we need Mame a little Christmas right this very minute. I don't that know why thing. I thought you singing it would help me. <laughs> Lucille Ball was in it. Okay. Oh, ma- actually, Mame. I do know about this because I can't say why, but I do know. I do know why. I do know. I actually, I do know what Mame is. Okay. okay. Yes. That's- I th- I, is it because you're Lucille Ball's secret great-great-granddaughter? Yes. Yes, that is why. <laughs> okay. Cool. Can I, can I also say, I went down a deep all I want for Christmas is you rabbit hole like a week ago and learned that Mariah Carey, the genius, the goat, wrote that song with one other person. Oh, yeah. Because she... She often does not get the credit she deserves where she actually writes most of her songs and like her hits. And she, there was an estimate that she has made, guess how much money she's made from that song? Just that song. I mean, because it's like number one every year. I would say it's like $30 million. Okay, that's a guess. What's your guess? I think it's maybe like over $3 billion. Mm, Close. $60 million. Oh, okay. Yeah. From that one song. And it's never going to die. And it's never going to die. That is how you do it. Listen, she is the queen. As I was saying with um, M&EK when we talked on the show, like she doesn't have anything to prove to these girls Mm-mm. anymore. She had people physically leaving their home to buy albums. Right, right now, people are just like, I want to listen to you know this Camila Cabello song. Let me just stream it from my bathroom. Right. I had to get my mom... To drive me to Target to get that glitter soundtrack. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, it was that took some work. I owned uh, Rainbow. That was the first one I bought by her. But I had a cousin, the only person of color I knew my entire life until I was 18. She had all of Mariah Carey's albums, and she taught me to like her. Where did you live, Whoville? <laughs> uh, the suburbs of Chicago are... Poland took over. Let's just oh, say it. I've heard of them. Yeah. White Flight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on to another question? Yeah. <laughs> this is from Jenny. Jenny says, I am a fan from Nicaragua and I wanted to ask, what is your favorite show that was ultimately canceled? Mine was Pushing Daisies. What's up, Nicaragua? Ooh. Oh, uh, Managua, capital? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know a Nicaraguan accent. Good, I, I would prefer you didn't. The best. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> What was yours, Kara? I don't know if it, I don't know if this is a favorite, but this is maybe this is one in recent memory. There was a show, I think it was on TBS called Sirens. Mm. That was actually like a really good comedy. It was about EMT workers and it was really funny and it was like pretty they were in Chicago, the part with black people. But um I don't know, it was just like a it was one of those just like well written, enjoyable comedies that that I could put on. Um but it was like TBS and they're weird and, and so it was canceled. Speaking of TBS, is Angie Tribeca still on? My dad will occasionally call me to say he still watches them. It's I I think it is. It's it's not gone. Okay, got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's alive. Gotcha. Um, show for me. Uh, I was a happy endings person for a while. I mm. uh, enjoyed that show. Uh, I had to be convinced for a while because it was in the wake of 30 Rock and I was still mourning that. But it really did pick up the pieces nicely, and I think, I think my favorite one of the shows is Casey great. Wilson. I think she's my favorite. Happy, happy Endings is fucking great. Hilarious. Like, you can literally just throw it on. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. And I'm always going to laugh. They all are so talented. Yeah. Uh, just bring it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. They're all hanging out. They all seem like nice people. <laughs> uh, what is mine? I mean, I would go with something like Happy Endings, too. But actually, I think it's the one that... Um, Jenny picked. I loved Pushing Daisies. Pushing Daisies was a great show. I actually have to amend mine. It is American Vandal. Oh, yeah. Because I cannot believe Netflix canceled it after only two seasons. Both seasons were fucking hilarious. That premise, like that, the whole, that show was so smart and funny and good, and I am not happy about it. So that is my pick. It always is kind of unnerving when there's an entire cast of people you've never seen before, and they're all great. Right, they were um, they were so good, um, and like it's it's nice to see them sort of out in the wild now. But um, yeah, that show was great. Well, watch season two of Insatiable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. Oh, I should pick one. Uh, let's see here. Let's do. Oh, this is from Brandon. Who would play you and your co-hosts in the movie version of Keep It? Oh God. Um, can I tell you something? I couldn't think of Andrew Garfield's last name recently, uh, which made me feel like I was beginning my still Alice decline. He is allegedly canoodling with Rita Ora. Oh, I know. So Rita Ora will play you and Andrew. I mean, like, there's, there's, there's so, <laughs> there are so few people on the planet with this, like, five-head situation I've got going on, and he makes it look handsome, so I would go with him. Okay. I don't have – I don't – I have a thing. I don't think anyone looks like me. Like I've never seen an app or just someone where I'm like, oh, I see the resemblance. Oh, Other girl, than like you my look like Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> Other than like my family, so I don't even. So there's that. I don't know who I would get to play me. Mm-hmm. Even in spirit. Yeah, I'm trying to think in spirit. Um, Kiki Palmer. <laughs> That's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> she could. I, I, mean, I, I gotta say, I've, I've spent some time with Kiki Palmer, and she is energetic. <laughs> <laughs> She's very sweet, but had like a ton of energy, which I don't know if that's my particular vibe. But she's a good actor, so maybe she could pull it off. Listen, she has been living off the wall since <laughs> Michael died. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fucking monster over here. He's playing Ira. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're waiting for me to pick. You should. The face you just made at me was like. <laughs> <laughs> he has his hand on his on he has his chin on his hand like he's Jane Mansfield like <laughs> posing in a portrait. Um who would I pick for Ira? I'm sure there's like an obvious answer to this. Um 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 Kara, you you coming up with anything over there? I'm not good at these. Ira, do you have someone in mind? I don't. I don't know. For me it feels weird. Can I play myself? I I guess you have to. I'm an actor. That's, oh, that's I have right. a degree that you says took a so. movement class. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Stanislavski. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, That's not the one where you pretend the orange juice is there. No, Stanislavski is just like, I believe I am here. Yeah. 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 The other one is, I don't know, Sturman Drang? Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know. I know words. I know theater words. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. I'm playing myself. Okay. That's settled. We're moving on. Moving on. That was a weird question. I guess it wasn't a weird question. We just can't answer it. Uh, this is from Lou. For Ira, do you keep up monthly with any comic books? And if so, what is your favorite current title? I'm sorry I read this question. I didn't mean to enable it, but go ahead. Wow. First of all, uh, I still read Spider-Man, the Miles Morales version. And I've also been reading Wonder Woman. I know, I've fallen off on comics lately. Um, there are some really new interesting titles coming out from Vertigo that I really want to get into. Like... Um, American Carnage, uh, that one looks very interesting, and it deals with race in America. So, other than that, I need to get back into comics. How about y'all tweet at me comics <laughs> that I should How be reading? How about it? I fell off. I've been busy. I've been trying to, I don't know, I guess I haven't been reading books. I'm reading books. Well, should we do the next book question? Yes. So, Anne asked, what was Kara's favorite book she read in 2018, and what's one book you all would recommend to understand the current moment? And... Damn, Anne, that is three questions. And what's Lewis's favorite Karen Carpenter song? <laughs> How nice of her. Um, I got to say the book that I enjoyed the most was The Truth About Animals, which I talked about like incessantly, but it was so, it was just like the world is crazy. I cannot believe there are this many animals. I cannot believe all of this stuff is happening. They do all these things. It was so like, it's just like my mind was blown. I can't believe that the world exists and all of these things are in it. Um, and that was like a crazy entertaining read. A book, right now I'm reading a book called The Death of Truth, which is real depressing. And it's on like the, it's sort of like the attack on reason and truth in the age of Trump. And it goes through just like this whole, um, it goes through this whole history of like postmodernism and how we just sort of got into this bullshit where everything was kind of subjective and because language could be subjective and all of this shit. And that's how you end up with someone like Trump who can just say words that don't mean what they mean and, and says that they mean what they mean. And it goes through like Hitler and other fascists and things like that. So um, it is it is light in that is a it is a small book. It is like pocket. You know, it's a. One you can I tote around. Digestible terror. Yeah, but mm. um, it is it is like a pretty intense read. But I think it is very necessary considering what we're dealing with right now. So. Uh, my favorite Carpenter song is probably. Uh, I know you all were waiting on the edge of your seats. Um, <laughs> uh, yesterday, once more. But I would also throw. I mean, like the classics. We've only just just begun. Superstar. It's that rainy days and Mondays. But yesterday, once more. I love a song about nostalgia. Touch me when we're dancing. Oh, I know you love that song. That's your favorite album by then. It is. Made in America. Listen, I do like the Carpenters. That's the surprise twist. I know, right. I've liked them all year. Whenever people ask me about this podcast, I'm always like, guys, secretly, Ira knows all the shit I do. He just laughs at me for talking about it. That's called <laughs> bullying. <laughs> Speaking of bullies. <laughs> Actually, by the way, I did remember um, you should read West Coast Avengers and Hawkeye by Kelly Thompson because she's a great writer. Anyway, that's it. Let's get back to bullying. To bullying. This is from Caroline. If you could pick anyone to be president right now, regardless of age, electability, et cetera, who would you choose? Because I, our president is a bully. That's why. I think oh, I see. Yes. Oh. Look, I mean, like, the, keeping it basic, Liz Warren. Sorry, she's she's routinely right. I mean, I can, th I can think of a couple of times where I was angry. Uh, the whole uh, uh, DNA test, that was a little unnerving. Otherwise, she's like super heroic to me most of the time. And when she holds people to task, it's so good television. I just want to keep watching it. Okay. Stacey Abrams, mm. please. There was something, I, this was a great Nate Silver who, I like Nate Silver, but he also, there are moments where he tests my patience. But he was like, he was talking about Beto and people, you know, talking about now him running for president. And he's like, I just don't understand why no one's having these conversations about Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum. I'm like, sir, you know why? Don't with this bullshit. Like, I just I just don't understand why no one's asking it. You know why? It's because mm. they're black, Nate Silver. That is why no one is having these conversations. And he knows that. He's not a dummy. Mm -hmm. So I did not appreciate that tweet. But he is right. Because they watch Martin reruns on BET. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, Stacey Abrams is who I want to be my next president. Because she would, like, go in there and actually do work. Because, like, black women actually go in and, like, 
have to finish shit and have to do shit. And she would be like, let's actually work. Let's like actually solve some problems here. She's like fireworks the person. Just please more of her in any capacity. Yeah. Who's your president? Joe Kennedy. He's so cute. Oh, the tiny kid. (laughs) He's cute. Okay. You're going like the full Trudeau route. You just believe yeah. cuteness leads to greatness. He's a Sometimes it's true. He gave a really good speech a couple times. I retweeted it. But is he the cutest president we could have? If you're going off of that. I am not one of those people who's like, oh my God, Beto. I don't find him that cute. I and enjoy still, him. And I'm still, I find and him, I'm still yeah. recovering from that Twitter thread about that woman talking about having sex with him. Oof. Excuse wanting me. To, wanting to have sex with him. Somebody messaged me to say that they had found a uh, f- slash fic about Beto and Tommy Vidor. So I don't... Oh, God! So I don't know... Does Tommy know about that? He will when he hears ah! <laughs> It's been wearing on me for a couple of weeks now, and now I've said it. So wow, anyway. that was a bomb drop. <laughs> wow. Stay tuned. Wow. Uh... <laughs> Oh, goodness. They're both nice people. (laughs) Um, Actually, you know what? I don't know. Do you find Gavin Newsom attractive? I love Gavin Newsom. I find him very attractive. You know what? I'd be fine with Gavin Newsom being president. Okay. Because, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it would continue the Trump, Kimberly Guilfoyle drama. I don't need that. Dynasty. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can Joe Collins be president? Oh, that, that, she's only like eighty-five. This I'm was like this it. was literally like literally whoever you want to be president. I own fifty-one percent of the White House. It's a good TV show. Okay. <laughs> Where are we wanting? Um, let's. I could have picked Willy Wonka. You could have. All right. Here's one from here's one from Emma. What popular Christmas or holiday movie needs to be kept? Holiday movie. Oh, God. Well, I mean, the Love Actually debate burns every year, and there's good and ridiculous parts of that movie. I can't get over that Kira Knightley was like 17 or whatever when she made that movie. Um, otherwise, you know what? I'm sorry. Home Alone is too motherfucking violent. I cannot stand <laughs> to watch it. Do you know what is the best part of that movie? When Kevin goes to the store. I'm like, what a little badass. <laughs> I liked Too the. Violent. I liked. It's so violent. I liked Home Alone too because I liked the idea of just being in a hotel mm-hmm. and eating room service and like that's how I would want to be Home Alone. Okay, Eloise. <laughs> exactly. I I feel like I'd say keep it to Home Alone too, if only because Donald Trump is in it. That's oh, true. Oh fuck. Also, they waste two Oscar winners in that movie because you got Joe Pesci, and then you got Brenda Fricker as the p- pigeon lady. That's her most prominent role after her Oscar-winning turn in My Left Foot. Should I look into the camera and plead for sanity in this universe? It's very crazy. The sexism in Hollywood. Quite. Daniel Day-Lewis, after My Left Foot, didn't have to play Pigeon Man. No. (laughs) No, he would have been paid $30 million to play Pigeon Man (laughs) in an Old West. uh... (laughs) I feel like I don't know that many holiday movies. Like nothing's. I do remember watching a holiday movie once with Chris Brown. That I don't remember enjoying. Oh, actually, The Best Man 2. No, mm. wait, I liked that one. That's not what we're doing. The we're Best doing Man Holiday. The Best Man Holiday, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Um, actually, oh. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. You don't like it. I hate it. Mm. It's boring. Yeah. I like the, the women in it, uh, <laughs> but no, it's boring. You like women in everything. I do have a problem, yes. I mean, wait, this was the one... Wait, I feel isn't like you this like, like the, the women. Isn't the, it's a wonderful life like the, <laughs> the blueprint for all holiday movies? Like, is this is this when he goes and, yes. and he's seen the ghosts? And yeah, all yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Along that's with from Spirit. like a Christmas Carol. I know, but it was like the best you know reinvention of that. Probably there mm-hmm. is an amazing tweet. I wish I knew. It's a woman who wrote it, but she says it's a wonderful life is about how rich people have to be supernaturally terrorized into being generous. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Very funny. Very funny. Uh, all right. I think we've got time for one more question. All right. It's gotta be it's gotta be hot. It's gotta be spicy. Mm. It has to be something a little sexual. Okay. <laughs> it, uh, these are too many ingredients. I wanna be seduced. I mean, this isn't gonna be our last question because Matthew wants to know 
who the biggest all-time Oscar snub is, and it's clearly Angela Bassett and What's Love Got to Do With It. Moving on. Oh, all right. Um, do I agree with that? Mm, I mean, it's up there. Yeah. You know you agree. Oh, out of fear? Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're nearing the end of this, guys. We got one more question. Oh, okay. You ready? Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is from Colin. What are your thoughts about New Year's resolutions, and what are yours? I'm always pledging to do shit all the time due to being a progressive active living my own life type of person that said um i'm not hateful about new year's so you resolutions make new year's resolutions every day of your life that's right every day is a new year for me because i'm losing my mind i don't know <laughs> i honestly i could stand to read a lot more do you know what i could stand to do more watch more television shows i just like movies because they're short and then you're done with them and i'm daunted by tv and there's so much i haven't seen that i have pretended to see but what I'm also. You, what's, vi- your, what's your biggest TV lie that you feel most, you know, like the worst one that you said that you watched that you haven't watched? Uh, I've watched. Mm-hmm. I've watched two episodes of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I wish I had seen. That's but I, the biggest one that I, you're concerned about. Oh, I've never seen Game of Thrones. I've never okay. seen. Um, I, like I did actually watch. Like Mad Men was the last show I watched all of. So anything in between. Anything after <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm fucked. Well, damn. Mm-hmm. I love a New Year's resolution. You know, I just love marching into the New Year's boardroom, Mm. throwing it all on the table. Mm -hmm. So you make one every year? I'm thinking about Dynasty again. Okay. Sorry. It's all I do. I was also going to say, what is a New Year's boardroom? (laughs) (laughs) 2019's office. I've got some things to say. Okay. Okay. I don't like a New Year's resolution. I like a New Year's mood. So I like going into the New Year with a general... Like, whose mood are we trying to do this year? Is this a Mariah Carey year? Mm. Is this going to be a Michelle Obama year? Am I going to try to do a lot of work? Am I going to do, like, a Cassie year where I maybe just try to find a man to spend all of his money on me? Just sure. like, you know, it. I you have to Simple go Simple virtues. Yes, just like a general mood into the year, less than a resolution. I want an Eve year. Listen. Just like a castle in Europe somewhere, drinking some- champagne and... Taking care of some white man's kids. Listen, she's pregnant now too. Is she? Mm-hmm. Oh, is she still on the talk? She, she sewed it up. No, I don't know. Is she still on the talk? You can never know who's on the talk at any given moment. It's it's I it's illegal knowledge. She'd be on the talk. She's married to like a very very rich white man. She doesn't need to be doing the talk. She, she I think she got a little bored. That's yeah. why she went on tour with Gwen Stefani. <laughs> it was great. Recently, like two years ago. Oh well, I would. Eve is a good mood for the year. So we all have to find rich white husbands. I also feel like she has looked the same ever since she has been famous, which is definitely the 90s. Louis, you know what a, t- a television show you missed? Eve's sitcom. Which was? It was on like UPN. On UPN. Oh, oh she I kind of remember that. She owned a boutique. Oh, yes. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. But my favorite part of that sitcom was that it was called Eve. And I don't believe the name of her character was named Eve. (laughs) (laughs) It starred her as... Well, on Seinfeld, uh, his name isn't... Oh, no, wait, never mind, it is. (laughs) Yes. Uh, She played Shelley Williams. But the show is called Eve. That is baffling. That's actually pretty incredible. Go in with that mood into 2019. Just, like, do whatever the fuck you want. That is our resolution. Yeah. Merry Christmas featuring Eve. Is that what you say on Christmas Eve? It is what I say now. You know, like Gwen Stefani, Merry Christmas featuring Eve. Okay. I I think that is the perfect note to go out (laughs) on this year. (sighs) Lewis. (laughs) I am. You know what? I'm not sorry. I'm glad. Guys, I cannot believe you stuck with us all year. Woof. What's your problem? God bless. Bless you all. Everyone. When we're back, I talked to Barry Jenkins about his new film, If Beale Street Could Talk. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. 
And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sitting down now with Academy Award-winning writer and director Barry Jenkins' first film since Moonlight won the Best Picture. Uh, It's If Beale Street Could Talk, his adaptation of James Baldwin's novel, the first English-language film based on the work of the author to whom the movie is dedicated. Set in early 1970s Harlem, If Beale Street Could Talk is a timeless and moving love story of both a couple's unbreakable bonds and the African-American family's empowering embrace as told through the eyes of 19-year-old Tish Rivers. Hi, Barry. Hey, what's up, Art? You are back with your next film. And after everything um, with Moonlight and the Oscars and, you know, that just being such a whirlwind, um, how are you feeling with If Beale Street Could Talk? Um, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good now. You know, we started showing the movie so people are... Watching it, you know, I mean, anytime you make something, anytime I make something, I'm always nervous as hell of what people are going to think of it. And uh, with this one, you know, because of how loud the last one was, especially the ending um, of the Oscars and all that stuff, um, I just knew there were a lot, of, a lot of eyeballs on this. And it's James Baldwin, too. So, you know, pressure on top of pressure on top of pressure. But, yeah, I'm feeling good, man. You know, it's November. I see all these I voted stickers. You know, it feels like things are, things are changing. So, yeah, I feel good. Yeah. Listen, the movie is great. Thank you, man. Um, Thank you. I'm like turning into a stan now. So, so, I, so, love, so, so, so. I love Moonlight. So, so, so Bill Street's like the good kind of keep it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like keep it as in we uh, want it's this. It's the opposite of keep it. It's <laughs> okay. like, I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> We're not saying keep it to Beale Street. Uh, first of all, it just wrecked me. I'm, I'm like, sorry. So, I'm, I'm sorry, bro. Thank you. I, I apologize. Twice, <laughs> twice you've done this. I'm sitting in the theater just like crying and also it just looks beautiful Mm, it mm -hmm. is it is so bright Mm -hmm. and colorful and it's nice to see like black people so 
brightly lit and dressed so nicely. Yeah, you know, part of And in a period piece. And a period piece. You know, part of that was, you know, when you read the book, um, I think Mr. Baldwin's words were very bright. Mm -hmm. Or I've been saying the word lush. You know, everything about this book uh, is very lush. You know, the depictions of passion, of romance, of family, just everything is painted with such um, a lush, I'll say saturated kind of brush. And so for myself and James Laxon, the cinematographer, uh, the path was already set. You know, we were mm-hmm. going to make a very lush, saturated, beautiful film. So speaking of Baldwin, maybe you can give us some insight into why we don't see so many Baldwin adaptations. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had 50 great Gatsby's. Yeah, but 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 who was who was Gatsby? You know, <laughs> Gatsby's a white man. Yes, and, that's true. And and I think uh, there's actually an article in the L.A. Times that either has come out or it's coming out soon, uh, just about the the dearth of black literary adaptations. You know, mm-hmm. there just haven't been a lot of them. You know, whether it's Toni Morrison, James Baldwin's, or Neil Hurston, whoever. Mm-hmm. And they just haven't been adapted at the rate that their white peers uh, have been adapted, and that's changing now. You know, if you look at this year, I think there's like four films, four features. You know, made by black people, featuring black people that are yes. adaptations of black authors. So, um, I think the time is just caught up to Mr. Baldwin. And it's great, particularly just because you know there was around the. 12 Years a Slave era before Moonlight hit, you know, Mm -hmm. people were just like, can we see a black movie that's not about slavery Mm -hmm. anymore? And especially with period pieces, it was like, can we also see something that doesn't have to be hidden figures? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, um, whatever movie Chadwick Boseman's in, Mm -hmm. uh, which Mm -hmm. is usually But but, but, but you know what what the funny thing about that is, though? I mean, before 12 Years a Slave, there was like, I guess, Amistad and Roots. There's been like 8,000 movies, you know, about slavery. It feels like there's been 900. (laughs) It feels like I've seen one every day. Well, I think only because that one is so damn good. True. uh, That it just gets inside your, your consciousness, but... But no, I, I think uh, the day when we can go, oh, I'm so sick of those lush, period, romance, James Baldwin adaptations. <laughs> that would be a damn good day, you know? Um, why was this your first, was this your first choice to pick a um, Baldwin book? No, no, no. If I had my choice, I would have chosen Giovanni's Room, mm-hmm. um, for sure. You know, it's my favorite James Baldwin novel. It's so short and sweet and just full of passion to would shot through with passion. Would you keep the characters white? Uh, I would. I would. Okay. I think I would honor the text the same way I honored this text, okay. um, uh, if working from that material. But I love that book. But it's amazing. I had thoughts when I read it. Well, I mean, but it was written in like true. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I know. context is everything. Yeah. Um, but but even with just like with this adaptation, I would want to bring it into the world intact. And so um, everything about this book has a fidelity to the source material or this film. And I think if I had done Giovanni's room, it would be it would be the same. But what struck me about Beale Street was. You know, Baldwin had so many voices, but there were two most prominent. You know, one was this very lush uh, sensualism, um, obsessed with with romance. You know, whether mm-hmm. that be between a man and a woman, or a man and a man, or even in in this uh, book, in the, on the side pocket, there's a there's a there's a lesbian romance too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of very very subtle. Um, and then the other voice was this very piercing social critique. You know, um, mm-hmm. speaking quite frankly and honestly about the role of uh, American society and American government uh, in the lives uh, of Black folks. And in Bill Street, I think those two voices are fused just so fluidly and organically in the story of Tish and Fani, who are soulmates, that I just felt like this one was a challenge that mm-hmm. scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh, but I thought also, too, if we succeeded, it would be the one that would be the most potent and the most powerful, uh, coming out of my voice at least. You know, it's around the holidays now, and speaking of family, you had me hooked immediately mm. from just the family scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought the dynamics, the casting, everything that was going on in those scenes, like it felt like yeah, I was I sitting mean, in the living room Col- with my Coleman family. calls it the blackest scene ever. Put it is! In. I mean, you know, and, and, and for me, I took my hat to Mr. Baldwin. You know, that scene is broken up over a few different chapters uh, mm-hmm. in the book, and it felt like it would be just a nice introduction to really set up the circumstances of Tish and Fani's situation. You know, mm-hmm. this is the case, this is the family, the families are fucking crazy and so yes. different. Um, and you kind of wonder, you know, how are these two people going to make it? And what I love is that, you know, I'm using Coleman's words now. He's like, you see, you sit in the living room and you see every kind of black person you have mom, ever known in I your saw family. My grandmother, I saw exactly. My aunties, exactly. Cousins who only come over for food exactly. on Thanksgiving. And, and what I love about it is, you know, because Mr. Baldwin was writing from the source, there's so much. If you watch this movie with a certain audience, they're going to pick up on every yeah. single little thing. Well, the audiences won't catch everything. That's mm-hmm. totally fine. Totally fine. But certain audiences will pick up on every single thing in that nuance, that detail. That's the kind of thing that I fell in love with when I first read the novel. Mm-hmm. And you wrote this script at the same time as the Moonlight one. 
I did. Yeah. yeah, it was the summer of 2013. I was very lonely, very hungry, and so I went to Europe trying to emulate Mr. Baldwin. That's me uh, every day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> very, very hungry, very lonely. And uh, yeah, and I wrote these two screenplays. That In Europe? Now, yeah, yeah. I wrote uh, Moonlight in Brussels, and I wrote Beale Street in Berlin. Get the fuck out of here. That is so I, I will not. I will not get the that fuck out of here. Lush. And you can't tell me to keep it, bro, because the movies exist. Um, I need to do that. I am on my way uh, from here to mm-hmm. to Paris Congrats. and London and Barcelona. Uh, for chill or for work? For vacation. Okay, nice, man. I'm jealous. Yeah. I just got back from those places, but I was working. <laughs> no thanks to you, my dear. I'm staring at my publicist right now. Yeah, because I remember you tweeted something about being in like a cafe in Paris. I was like, is he on vacation no, with a movie to promote? I, I, I was spreading <laughs> spreading the Baldwin gospel, man. And it was amazing. We had a screening in Paris, and afterwards these these four black women came up to me uh, from different different countries on the continent of Africa. But you know, they weren't talking about the story or the narrative or the plot. They were talking about Kiki and Tiana and Regina and just mm-hmm. the idea of seeing these black women you know, with all these different skin tones and showing so many different kinds of strength. And it's just it's one of those things that I didn't realize in making the film or casting it, just how much, again, some of these nuances, these details would mean to certain audiences. Yeah, the, the depictions of black women in this film are great. Um, you get so many varying ones, even going back to Moonlight with Naomi Harris's mm-hmm. too. And uh, Reg- the later half of the movie, when, when it's like Regina's story, yes. is fantastic. Yes. Um, the, gr- the green coat. Yes. The green coat was yes. like, was giving me... Vertigo. It was. I, I love just that image, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I could talk about that all day. Going back to like your Oscar story, mm-hmm. you know, Damien has another movie out this year. I do, I do. But I don't think people are going to be like First Man versus Beale Street the way that they were with La La Land. Uh, At least I, I promise not to be crazy this year. Okay. Well, 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 you know, I'll, I'll accept that. I'll accept that plea or that that promise on both my half and Damien's behalf. Um, you know, e- even back then, it felt like if Damien made Moonlight and I made Moonlight, then I could see mm-hmm. this sort of duality or this this competition, so to speak. Or yeah. if he made La La Land and I made La La Land, you know, yeah. La La Land in the hood or something, yeah. then I could see it. But it's just <laughs> they're two different, t- completely different pieces of art, mm-hmm. the same as these two are completely different pieces of art. So it's always a weird thing. Now, being honest, because mm-hmm. of what happened, I totally get it. You know, yeah. and so when I walk into an interview, you know, I'm not surprised to hear someone bring up. You know, Damien, um, just as I'm sure I get brought up when he's doing an interview. You know, it was a very public... You know, I I thought they all hated me. Jordan Horowitz came on the show. Did he? He came on this show? He came on this show, yes. You know, that doesn't surprise me. That does not surprise me. We're friends online now, too. That does not surprise me. He's a real solid dude. He's actually the first person I saw after the Oscars. It was like Mm -hmm. three months later. We just ended up at this dinner together. And um, both of us were surprised to see each other. Mm-hmm. And we just sat uh, across from each other and just, like, talked the whole thing out. It was um, uh, all love, r- real good vibes. Yeah. You know, and I could also see, you know, why people were just sort of feeling that way. It was p- so much Oscar so white. It was like everyone was yeah. just really into, oh, my God, Moonlight. Yeah, it uh, was it, it was in the air. And, and I think what I, what I learned about that is, you know, you can, all you can do is create a mm-hmm. piece of work. And you have an audience in mind. And to me, that audience on Moonlight was Terrell McCraney. In this film, it was the James Baldwin estate. But then once the film's Terrell, done, who I am friends with and cannot get on my damn show. Well, Terrell's a busy He is, ass he is man, very busy. A you busy know, It is so hard man. to even get him for dinner. People think I'm busy. He is a busy-ass <laughs> man um, and very talented. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you make a piece and you put it out into the world and you can't control where it goes from there. Yeah. And so the narrative that the film got caught up in, mm-hmm. um, I guess people needed it. You know, There yeah. was so much going on at that time, the same way there's so much going on at this time right now. So this is also your second collaboration with uh, Joy McMillan. Yes, yes it um, is. I mean, technically, but I mean, I've known Joy since I was like 20 years old. Like I was her cinematographer in film school. She was okay. my production designer. We've done some shorts together before doing uh, Moonlight. So, but yeah, second official collaboration yeah. with Joy in that. Well, two years ago, became the first Black woman ever nominated for Best Editing, which is Oscars. which is beautiful and sad at the same time because because there have been Black women cutting movies that have been worthy of Oscars. Um, mm-hmm. You know, way before Joy and I were born. So, you know, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, and just how important it is you for to collaborate with, you know, black people when working on black films? Uh, It's really important, man, especially uh, with this film. You know, uh, when I talk about uh, the process of making Bill Street that that I I learned the most from was, as a director, you know, you have to have a certain amount of ego. You know, there are all these choices that have to be made. 
and all these people who work independently who need to look to a unified, uh, unified source so that we can all be on the same page. Um, so you have to bring your ego uh, to a certain degree. Uh, but in this film, you know, it's a story told from a woman's perspective, from a black woman's perspective, mm-hmm. uh, and it's written by, you know, a gay black man. Mm-hmm. I'm not a woman. I'm not a black woman. So I had to really check myself and listen to all the black women around me, both in the cast, but also especially in post, listening to Joy, because there were certain scenes that I was like, I don't know. I'm not really feeling this scene. And Joy would be like, trust me. You know, people are going to feel the scene, you know, and what she was saying in a very kind way was there are things that go past your experience that other people are going to see in these characters. And she was right. She was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice that, you know, last year in Moonlight, a lot of people were like, why did this movie end too early? Mm-hmm. Here, we get to see some sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but we still cut away from it. That's true. We, <laughs> we still cut away from it. We do, but it is it is it is like electric. It it, it is electric, and and I will say again, I'll tip my hat to the women uh, surrounding me. Um, that scene, as a director, as an auteur, or something like that, is one shot. The mm-hmm. whole thing is one shot. He gets up and goes to the record player, and the focus stays with her. You don't see him. He's just like a blob. He drops the needle. You don't see the needle. He comes back, and then they go down to the bed the way it is in the current film. Um, I showed that to a few of my female friends who were directors, you know, uh, a few of them black women and, uh, and a few of them Asian women, and they all collectively said, this is great. I know you're trying to tell the story from the female point of view, and so you're staying with her. But if, if that was a woman at the record player, you would be objectifying her right now. So you need to objectify him. Mm-hmm. And so we cut to Stefan with all his muscles and his tidy whities and whatnot. He drops the needle. Yes, you're not in your head. Uh, and then we go back to the bed. And it was, again, this, this place where I had to really sort of listen to all the women and be like, oh, I don't know what this experience is like. Please help me. And every time I, I asked, I, I was helped in a really lovely way. Mm-hmm. You've told just such um, widely sort of different but connected Mm-hmm. sort of stories mm-hmm. with um, your past three films mm-hmm. now. And so, I don't know, what do you want to do next? Uh, I mean, I know what I'm doing next. I'm doing The Underground Railroad by Colson well, yeah, Whitehead right that now. That, television. Yes, that's yeah. a television. But to me, television, cinema, it's all well, the same thing. Well, you worked thing. on Dear White People. And I, so I, I did an, an episode of Dear White People that I'm really, really fond of. And shout out to Justin Simeon for giving me, me that opportunity. That was before Moonlight came out. So Justin Simeon yeah. gave me my break in television, uh, I'll say, and taught me so much about. He's been in here, too. Uh, not surprised. Yeah. Have you been on his show? I have not. Been. His show's dope. I think they kind of cross over a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, he, just a little bit. He's got my number. And they're like equals amounts of shade being <laughs> doubled out on these two shows. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing the Underground Railroad at Amazon, uh, Colson Whitehead adaptation, and then after that, I fucking love that book. It's dense. Yeah, it's dense and intense, man. It took me a minute. Yeah, and and it's, and it's taken us a minute to make it, you know, <laughs> because it's got to be, uh, I think, ten hours. You know, you can't yeah. do that as a feature film. You know, you got to give Cora all the space she needs to go on the journey uh, that she demands. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you love, you know, working in the field of TV as much as film. Yeah, you know? I, I think right now it's a, it's an awesome time to be a storyteller because there's not you don't have to take the material and fit it into a certain format. You take the material and it dictates which format is best for it. And with this book, you know, it wasn't going to be a two and a half hour movie, you know, that opens uh, at, at the at the arc light. You know, it's going to be you know a ten hour movie of varying uh, shapes and sizes, the episodes and things like that. And I'm just like I'm watching Homecoming right now on Amazon, and it's fucking awesome. And you just I can't have, do I that anywhere else. No idea what's going on, but I love it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm like three and a half episodes in, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, what is going on? I, I don't know, but Julia I'm here Roberts for Roberts running around, talking on telephones. Solving conspiracies, and and then Stefan James just doing Stefan James, you yeah, know, just just being his his gorgeous, handsome, you know, somewhat opaque in this oneself, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know what he's up to, but but I like it. Yeah, you should work with Julia. Um, you know, she introduced a screening of Moonlight, man. She's she's dope, man. She she's fam. Yeah, yeah. She she was black people. She would do something. She loved Denzel. Ira do said that. Ira said that. Not Barry Jenkins. <laughs> Just let the record show. Ira said that. Not Barry Jenkins. I'm sure she does love black people. Yes. She loves Denzel. Yes. I remember when at that Oscars performance. When Denzel. I met her, I felt love. Yeah. You know, I saw her with Stefan. He felt love. So yes. You can say that. But Ira, Ira Madison said, Julia Roberts loves black people. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> Julia, if you don't agree, you can correct me. But I don't think she will. Um, yeah, do like a Pelican Brief TV show. I don't know. 
I'm just telling you to do No, 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 no. You know, with her, I want cinema because I'm, I'm sure you saw that story about me getting drunk on a plane and tweeting about Notting Hill. And so there's there's something about that. There's, yeah, everybody knows I'm, I'm a big Julia fan. So, so yeah, someday, someday. Who doesn't love getting drunk on a plane and live tweeting a movie? You know, see, what happened was it was a long flight back from uh, from Europe. I had been waiting for three hours in uh, at Charles de Gaulle, then the flight to JFK. Then I missed the plane at JFK. And so then I had a drink or two, and then I got on the plane at JFK, and it was, like, stormy. And so I just started drinking, and there was Notting Hill. And the whole thing just, it, it kind of, you know, something happens, and you don't understand it's happening until after it's already halfway happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I just happened to log on Twitter and realize, like, oh, shit, people are following what I'm tweeting. And it just didn't occur to me. Yeah. It just didn't occur to me, bro. I was terrified, man. I thought that was going to be, like, bad. <laughs> but it was really? really, yeah, it was really, I was like... You know, people know that I'm drunk and, and I'm on like a plane and, and I'm tweeting about this damn movie and I'm like, I don't know, I just didn't, it's, one, I was drunk, so obviously I was like, what the hell is happening? 90% of my tweets are when I'm drunk. Again, Ira Madison said <laughs> 90% of his drunk, uh, his tweets are drunk, yes. I'm just sitting here, very sober, just, just having a conversation. All right, well, <laughs> I want to thank you. Nice t-shirt, bro. Thank you. I make my own comic book shirts. Really? Yeah. I, I make I make sweatshirts for people I admire. Do you knit them? No, no, no. I just have this website called uh, Uber Prints where okay. I go on. I made one for for Liz Hanna recently. The woman who wrote, wrote the post, she's dope. Yeah. Uh, there was this this kid who did uh his name's oh his last name's Ma. He skated to uh to Lil John. Uh, turned down for what? Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Ma. So I made some Jimmy Ma sweatshirts. Maybe okay. I'll make a, a keep it sweatshirt. That's I would love do. that. I'll make a sweatshirt with you, bro. Okay. Done, Paula. Hold me to it. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Now I'm even more excited. I got thank swag. you for having me. Can, can, can we sing the pod, the pod Save America intro? <laughs> you guys should adopt that, but like remiss it, like chop and screw it. Our, our theme song is better. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming, Barry. Thank you, Mr. Madison. Coming up next, a holiday edition of Keep It. With my busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the bag. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at shipped.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's gonna be great. And we're back. All right. One last keep it to rule them all. Mm. Like that ring. The Lord's one. Yeah. Yes. Jesus's. Got it. Kara, <laughs> what's your keep it? My keep it is to New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate New Year's Eve. Um, oh it my is. God. I hate it. Here's the thing. When I lived in New York, New Year's Eve was amateur hour. Because you know what I was doing when I was in New York? I was going out four to five times a week. We were all borderline alcoholics. Mm -hmm. We knew how to hold our alcohol. We knew how to keep it together. 
New Year's Eve, anywhere you go, is amateur hour. It's just the people that never go out, who never do anything, and they're like, tonight I'm going to take five tequila shots. And they're falling on you, and they just get in the way, and they don't know how to act. I do not like New Year's Eve attire. Uh, sequins are tacky. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not like the glitter eyeshadow that women have been convinced that they have to wear for this one evening. For some reason, it is impossible to find a ride home. I can think of so many bullshit New Year's that I've had where I, I also like don't try to make a big deal out of it because you are bound to be disappointed. Like everyone, you know, you have to build up this whole thing or you're paying all this money. And like it's going to be disappointing any night that you put that much pressure on just because it's the end of the year. So I do not like New Year's Eve. I like to stay close to home. Guys, there's a lot of drunk drivers out there. It is dangerous. I like to just have some champagne, maybe eat a lobster tail and chill and uh, wear something warm and comfortable and not like bullshit sequin mini dresses. You know, Kara also does not like green eggs and ham. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add also, it is hilarious that there's like this holiday that's just a build up to the worst month of the year. I'm just January where nothing has ever happened. The Golden Globes. I'm, I mean, I, in- I celebrate that, but... They could, sometimes that do you, falls do you like enjoy this is the other thing I don't believe people I think we've all been conditioned to think that this is special I don't think anyone like really enjoys New Year's Eve oh and the other thing is if you go out like if you're in if you're on the East Coast or you're somewhere where the bars are open late you have to go out so early because when you're in New right. York you don't go out till midnight so in this scenario you have to go out at like 10 or something and then it's like there's still five more hours left of this evening because you're not going to go home at midnight and the, you know everything's going to be open for more for so much longer. So I just it throws everything off. I'm usually like thinking about a man, yeah, all oh, night. P.S. Right, you got to find someone to kiss. And by the way, if you hook up on New Year's, it is gross. I'm just sorry where the night ends because the night always ends way too late. And who with? I just I regret a, a lot of a lot things. of regrets on New Year's yeah. Eve. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know you regretted that, Louis. Say what? Oh, moving <laughs> right along. Wow, I thought it was special. Okay, I need to leave through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the chimney? I'm jumping. Oh, <laughs> uh, Lewis, what is your keep it? Um, I assume a lot of people will be springing their new recipes on me this holiday season. And I have one I would specifically like to say keep it to. It's courtesy of my favorite cooks at the New York Times. They uh, had this headline recently. Surprise your guests with this simple and unexpected appetizer. Charred tangerines on toast. What? What? It is a food that witches serve you. <laughs> Charred tangerines on toast, Kara. It is a disturbing... I, can I see what it looks like? Do you have uh, a picture? Yeah, I mean, I can drag is it Is it up. like a piece of bread? Yes, it looks... Well, it, lo- it looks like an appetizer. What the fuck is this? <laughs> it looks like cockroaches. Ooh, and there's... What is that, olive oil? The, no guess. I think it's just the tangerine juice. It's witch hazel. Why would the tangerines go with the crusty bread? That's weird. I don't like that. If you're pro- like, guys, we're not trying to like improve on bruschetta, are we? I don't think so. So anyway, let's just keep tangerines in their like juicy citrus state. This is my wild revolutionary idea and not plop them down on like petrified bread. I'd appreciate that. Uh, so anyway, don't try your new recipes out on me. Please just feed me a simple candy cane. Uh, I will bring my favorite thing to bring to holiday parties, which is uh, my wit. And nothing else, because I can't cook. All you need is like a warmed up wheel of brie. Yeah. That's all anyone needs. And you, some bread. You know what I also, I don't like though? Mold wine. I feel like that is just food that makes you sick. I don't really like mold wine either. I don't, I don't mind a, like a, a punch, a warm sort of whiskey based punch with some cider. Yeah. That I get, but mold wine is kind of gross. Mm. It's like a wine that's also stew. <laughs> no way. You know what my keeper is too? What? Jesus. Oh, sure. <laughs> okay. It's not your birthday. <laughs> right. He just decided his birthday was any old day. Just been scared. Yeah. Nobody actually knows when his birthday is. I don't think this was Jesus' decision, I got to say. <laughs> I don't think Jesus is the one who sent a message hundreds of years forward and said, celebrate my birthday on December 25th. Oh, I see. You think Jesus doesn't run his own career. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You think he's not doing that Twitter account? You think it's an intern? <laughs> I think it might be. Wow. Keep it to Jesus' Twitter account. <laughs> Who's running it? It's probably whoever runs uh, uh, God's Twitter account. I'm going to say Catherine McPhee. Yes. Oh, I, that went a different direction. <laughs> uh, it's not his birthday. It's not. 
wasn't he born in the summer? I listen. I'm not a biblical scholar, but there's like actual. They're like he would have. He wouldn't have been born like that time of year. Mm-hmm. So it's nowhere near his birthday. Again, if I'm gonna root for a, a carpenter who died in his early 30s, I'm going for Karen, sweetie. So how about that? <laughs> you like that material I worked out? No. Did you just come up with that? Uh, no. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been waiting for six years. Yeah. <laughs> to tell that joke. It's a little old. I am so tired of you. <laughs> I need a break. Happy New Year. It's a good thing this is our last episode of the year. Godspeed. When we're back. 2019. <laughs> The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.